This last Tuesday, we had the conference office, we had workers meeting. We had a man who came to speak as our guest speaker, um, not an Adventist, but uh, he sets up all the major television programs for major religious figures, such as he sets up the programs for the Crystal Cathedral with Schuler and and some of the others uh, throughout all the United States. In fact, he's even moving out into the world. This last year, he set up uh, two commercials, made two commercials to be played on Super Bowl, non-religious. But uh, So this guy is, is well-known in, in the media, and he, he gave an interesting fact. He said that this year, 2008, the average teenager will be consumed in five and a half hours per day in media. We're talking about computers, iPods. Um, we're talking about cell phones, uh, text messaging. I haven't got my thumbs limber enough to do that. Um, all kinds of media, five and a half hours per day in the technical world. The thing about it is is that they are so consumed with technology that that's where they turn to for their source of answers. If they're looking for some type of answer to some problem or some question, they turn to their computer or uh, they know how to Google. Some of you haven't learned how to Google yet. They know how to Google, and uh, they learn very quickly how to use the media to find everything that they need to know. To show you what type of an effect that has on them, um, there was a young couple who went, he was saying, who went to Beverly Hills and went to one of the big jewelry stores in Beverly Hills that you can buy anything and everything in, in jewelry. And one of the things that the jeweler was showing to this young couple, these teens, were various forms of gold crosses. And from very simple little tiny things all the way up to crosses that have the figure of Jesus um, crucified on the cross. And this teen girl who was looking at them picked one out and says, this is really gorgeous. This is what I love. This is what I want. But what I can't figure out is, who's that little man on the cross? See, they don't have any concept of the spiritual in many cases of the, of the young people in the world today. Why do they need Jesus when their computer has the answers? Why do they need to know who Jesus is when all I've got to do is either uh, get on my cell phone or my iPods and, and hear all my heroes and see all of them and they know it all and I have need of nothing else. So today what we're going to take a look at is the one that is the true know-it-all. And that's our God. It's important to look at that because there are even a lot of church members today who doesn't realize how well God knows us. 
and how much he does know. And so we're going to look specifically at that. God knows us better than we even know ourselves. He has foreknowledge about us before we're ever born. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah in the Old Testament, chapter 1. Here is a good prophet in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Jeremiah is writing this about himself. He says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Notice that God knew Jeremiah before he was born. And he knew what he would be doing as an adult. It's clear throughout Scripture that God knows each of us intimately even before we were ever born in this world. He knows who we are. He knows all about us. That means we're not a mistake. But we are a personal son or daughter of God with a purpose to fulfill in life. Take a look at Isaiah, another prophet. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45. And we want to look at verse 1. Isaiah 45 and verse 1. Thus says the Lord to His anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before Him and loose the armor of kings to open before Him the, the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. Cyrus. This was written about 150 years before Cyrus was born. And God already knew his name. His parents hadn't even named him yet. And he knows his name. He also knows about the double gates. There were gates that were there at the, at the city of Babylon where the Euphrates River went through. And they dammed the river and there was gates that were under there and those gates were open and they walked right through. God knew that was going to take place. He knows the names. He knows specific details about our lives before we are ever born. God knows where we are at all times. Take a look at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. Verses 47 through 50. John, chapter 1, beginning with verse 47. Jesus is calling His disciples. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? This is the first meeting. How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, 
You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Look at Nathaniel. Never met Jesus. First time laying his eyes upon Jesus. And Jesus knew he was an Israelite. Jesus knew he was a man with no deceit within him. Knew things about him he probably didn't know about himself. Knew even the greatest detail that he was sitting underneath a fig tree. God knows who speaks to us. God knows when we're sitting idle under a tree. He even knows what kind of a tree we're sitting under. He knows every minute detail of our lives. Do you know what I like about this text? When Nathaniel recognized Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus basically said to him, if your belief is based on the fact that I saw you sitting underneath a fig tree, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's my part. Wait until you see what I have in store for you in the future. When we realize that Jesus knows every mundane detail about our lives and that He opens up heaven's windows for even more blessings that can fall upon us, how can we be any different? How, we've got to recognize who He is. The next thing is that God starts directing events to spiritually help us when we need help. Take a look at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Acts 9, beginning with verse 1. Talking about Saul. Acts 9, beginning with verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of, of, of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he's wanting letters to be able to persecute Christians is what he's saying. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the, the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. 
Take a look how detailed this is going. Here's Saul. Now he's blind. He's had this experience with the Lord. The Lord sends him into Damascus. He doesn't even go to his house. He goes to someone else's house. But here God comes to Ananias and tells him, go and gives him the address. Tells him the name of the street that he's to go to. Tells him who, whose house it is. Tell him that he's supposed to go in there and he's supposed to talk to Saul. Now Saul's doing all this persecuting and everything, but God says don't worry about that. Go and see him because he's had a vision and he knows that a man by the name of Ananias is going to come and speak to him. Do you see how God is already setting all these things up for Saul before the blindness has ever taken place? Before these changes are taking place? God is already in charge. And you think your life's out of control? It's not out of control in God's eyesight. God's in charge. He's in charge of your life. He knows everything about you. Do you know that God knows the stupid things that I do? Take a look at Psalm. Psalm 69. Psalm 69. You and I make mistakes. You and I sometimes say things we regret. Sometimes we do things that we regret. Psalm 69, verse 5. Oh God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. Look at verse 19 and 20. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach was, was broke, has broken my heart and I'm full of heaviness. I look for someone to take pity but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. You know, God knows the foolish things that we do, sometimes the things that we do that we neglect when we sit there and whip ourselves with guilt. He knows those things. You know, sometimes we look for people to help give us answers and to give us comfort and to help us get through, and sometimes when we look, the people are not there, but God is there. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When I do something wrong, he says, if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you your sins, and I'm going to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's there to help. God isn't our enemy. He's our friend. He's the one that knows me better than I know myself. Even though he knows the stupid things that I do and he knows all the sins that I commit and he knows all the guilt that's on my shoulders and he knows that no one seems to care, look at what David says in verses 33 and 35 of Psalm 69. Verse 33, he says, For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise his prisoners. Verse 35, For God will save Zion. You might as well put your name in there. 
and build the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and possess it. What is that saying? God doesn't reject you. He knows the stupid things that you do. He knows the stupid things that you say. He knows the neglect that you do. He knows the sins that you commit. But He still wants to be your God. He wants to comfort you. He wants to be with you. He wants to forgive you if you just allow Him to do so. You're not going to hide anything from Him. God still hears and delivers us. Now I want you to see something really special. Turn with me to the Gospel of John again, chapter 17. John 17, beginning with verse 20. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be crucified. He's about to go to his grave. He's about to be rejected by his disciples. Many of them run away. Peter denies him three times. And so he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. First he prays for himself, then he prays for his disciples. And then look at verse 20. I do not pray for these alone. That's the, the disciples that are with him but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is in the future. This is you. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is about to face death, but he takes time to pray for you, that they all may be one as your Father, as you, Father, and are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is praying for you, and he's saying, what I want is I want you to have salvation. I have not left you. Just because your sins and all the sins of the world is about to nail me to the cross, I'm not going to reject you. I have come to establish an even closer relationship with you than you have ever experienced before in your life. God didn't come to this world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. He wants you to know that He knows everything about you. There's no secret. You can hide it from other people, but there's no secret. There's no secret in His life. He knows everything that there is to know about you. He even knows things about you you don't even know yourself. He knows the guilt. He knows the heartache. He knows the, the pressures of life. He knows everything. It even says He knows the hairs on your head. With a God that knows everything about you and still doesn't turn away from you, I think He wants to be on your side. Don't you think so? 
I think he wants to take the guilt and sweep it away. He wants you to say, yes, I know what it's like for you to live in this world of sin. I know what it's like. I've been tempted. I know what is, I've seen sin at its worst. I've had the devil attack me direct. I know the devil will attack you. But I want you to know I am still on your side even when you make mistakes or even when you purposely try to hurt me or hurt others. I know that, but I'm not going to hold it against you. I love you and I want you to be with me in heaven. I want to have a relationship with you that you may become with one with me like I am one with the Father. That sounds pretty good, don't you think? He's on our side. Even though I do stupid things, he's still on our side. There once was a man named Randy Lowe. All his friends just wanted to call him Lowe. It was easier to say. Lowe lived a life full of hardships and doubts and sin, made a lot of mistakes. His friends would try to witness to Lowe but, about Christ, but Lowe wanted to believe in Jesus. But he just couldn't quite get too close to Jesus. He even joined a church one time, but he didn't take Christianity very seriously. After some time, Lowe quit going to church. He became discouraged and his discouragement led him to lose sleep at night, to worry. The worn out man was having lunch with a friend when Lowe expressed his discouragement to his friend saying that he didn't feel that God was around him anymore, that God had rejected him, God didn't like him, and that it disturbed him so much that he couldn't sleep at night. His friend, being very wise, said, why don't you go home and, and take your Bible? You still have a Bible, don't you? And Lowe says, yes. He says, take it and, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew and, and just read Matthew. Read it slowly. Let the words soak in. Let God speak directly to your heart and to your mind. And so Lowe went home he picked up his Bible and he began to search in Matthew. Soon he arrived to Matthew 28 and verse 20. And he read the words of Jesus that said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That night, Randy Lowe slept quite soundly, more than he had ever had in his entire life. Lo, I am with you. Or you can put your name in there. I am with you. God is a know-it-all, and I marvel at that fact. We just scratched the surface this morning, but I realize that he knows the very hairs on my head. He knows the address of where I'm going to live even before I move there. And when things are going badly, he directs others to help me 
or if they can't help me, he helps me. Why should I worry? Why should I fret? Why should I be discouraged? Why should I leave sleep? Why, why, should, I, why should I feel guilty when I know that Jesus loves me? Hymn number 75.